Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking with Carolina Panthers head strength and conditioning coach Joe Ken about his path, where he's been, where the profession has been where it's come from and where it's going. Uh, this was a big one for me, guys. Coach Ken has had a huge impact on my career. Uh, so being able to sit down and talk with him about his path from Wake uh, down to Florida, then back to Wake, out to Idaho, and then Utah, Arizona State, and now back to Carolina uh, was, was really special to me. And, and to hear you know, how he breaks down the things that he sees that separate coaches from you know, growing up when coming through when, when he was coming through to where we are now, uh, it, it's really, really awesome. I, I really can't thank Joe enough for spending the time with us, being so open, honest, and candid with his sharing as he always is. I really hope you guys enjoy this talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. 
Uh, my my pleasure, Jay. I've been uh, we've been trying to do this for like two years, so we finally got it done. Yeah, I know, man. This is this is one that I've had written down that I've I've personally wanted for a long time because of you know the impact that that you've had on what I do, um, and that's why talking about your story and how you've gotten back down to Carolina, uh, it, it, it's important to me. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about. Joe Ken as the coach and where you started and what were some of the big pros of the job back then? Well, it pretty much really started back in high school when, when I got involved in my first organized strength training program with the high school football team under my high school coach, Rich Malo, who actually played for my dad at the same high school. So I got exposed to organized strength training you know, in the early 80s when that was still a little bit obscure. I mean, especially at the high school level, let alone college level and started getting a little bit more popular as I as I was leaving college, the started to explode a little bit more as far as the year-round training plan. So I was exposed to weight training and strength training relatively early from the organizational standpoint. And obviously, there's no question that being dedicated to the weight room afforded me the opportunity to get a full athletic scholarship to college. And in my situation at that time, if I don't get an athletic scholarship, I'm not going to college. So it was one of those deals where I knew that I, you know, my parents were, you know, pretty, you know, they, they were hardworking individuals. And you know, I said, Hey, we'll do whatever we can. I was like, look, if I don't get a scholarship, I'm not going. I mean, it's just as simple as that. I don't. So, Fortunately for me, I was actually halfway decent and had had a choice to go to where I wanted to go. And that's always a positive when you don't have to have somebody force a decision on you. And I chose Wake Forest for a lot of reasons, and, and none of them were academics. When people say, oh, you went to Wake Forest, man, big academics. Well, I said, I can promise you that wasn't the reason why I chose Wake. <laughs> uh, you know, it, that was a strictly football business decision from where I where I eyed myself up with the people that were already on campus and where I fit in their their positional depth charts, it was just a better spot for me to go to. I thought versus some of the other schools that were recruiting me and offering me scholarships. And you know, I, like anybody else, I'm going there to go to the NFL. I mean, that's if you're going to play Division One football, I think that you you have to have a goal of playing in the NFL as you realize your talents compared to others that that dream may die off a little bit but i think if you're going into a division one university especially in this day and age also what the demands are on you 365 days a year and you're not aspiring to be an nfl football player i don't know if you should play division one football unless you're using it strictly to get a to get a degree, but even then, are you willing to do what they're going to ask you to do 365 days to get your school paid for? Because that that is what it is. I mean, college football today is a 365. Uh, you're, you're at the beck and call of those coaches, and you're at the beck and call of the training system. I mean, you know, you got guys now coming out of high school, graduating early to get to high school in January. They're not even enjoying... I mean, that was like the best part of 
my high school career was I had signed a scholarship in February, dropped a bunch of classes, and I was, you know, a gym aide for my second semester of high school, enjoying life, lifting weights, getting ready to go to college. And back then, you didn't go until you reported. So it's, you know, it's dramatically changed. Uh, then, you know, like anything else, man, your your story gets thrown a curveball. And, that, you know, if there's one thing I can say to the younger strength coach generation is you have to be a curveball hitter in our in our role. I mean, we're chameleons. We have to be the most adaptable people in the building. I've begun using that term rather frequently in the last few years because you, you, you have to. You're, you may have the greatest plan, but remember, you work for a specific head coach or head coaches that can dictate that plan changing within a matter of seconds. <laughs> hey, I know we were going to lift today, but you know what? It's a beautiful day out. We're going to go run them. Uh, okay. You know, and then you got to flip your switch because what are you going to say? No, that's not going to happen. I don't think that ain't very many guys who got that kind of juice. Yeah. So what happened was I was on my way to, I thought, being a pretty successful career early on. And then I blew my knee out my first spring there competing for a starting job. Sat out another year, redshirted, sat out another year, came back my third year blew out my other knee. So my first three years, I played five games. And so my whole NFL career was kind of, I mean, I wasn't an idiot. I had good people back at home that were realistic. So I know how this game's going. And now, okay, oh, I got to graduate college. So, but I knew early on when I got to Wake, they had just changed a physical education degree to health and sports science. So I dove all in on that. A very competitive, very tough, one of the tougher majors at Wake. And I and I survived it. So I was fortunate enough to graduate in four and a half years with a degree from Wake and a pretty a pretty impressive one. And I got right into my career. I, I graduated in December and January. I knew I wasn't going to the NFL. I was classified a major uh, medical reject. So I got my first job working at the YMCA for $3.35 an hour in downtown Winston-Salem. During that time, a former GA of ours got a job at a prep school in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and was looking for coaches, uh, field coaches, as well as dorm supervisors. And one of the prerequisites was you had to be getting, you had to be married. Well, luckily for me, I was getting married that June. So I fell into one of the most ideal situations for a college graduate who wants to get into coaching. You're going to get a chance to work out a prep school. And we were dorm supervisors, so we got to live for free for two years. So it was awesome. a great way to start. And I wound up coaching O-line, D-line, long snappers, tight ends. I was the head wrestling coach for a year, which was a big mistake. And then, uh, then the weight coach, obviously. And, and I, I had never really aspired to coach at that level, although I'm very glad that I did. I had already, I mean, I'd always had aspirations to be at the college level and maybe hopefully one day realize a dream to get to the pros as a coach rather than a player. But the, I wasn't prepared to go back to graduate school. Four and a half years awake, I was just not ready to go back to school. That was just not, 
I knew I had to. I knew the master's degree was an important part of the path of being a recognizable and, and a strength and conditioning coach at that time because that's where most of your assistants were. There, there weren't the crazy, you know, 30 people staffs that there are today. It all was pretty much the head guy and a GA and maybe two GAs. Mm-hmm. Then if you were really lucky, you might have had a, an assistant and a GA. But when I was coming through, most of it was the head guy and a GA, and you had all the sports. So after two years at Pinecrest, I went back to Wake and worked as a part-time assistant for my strength coach while I was in transition trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I actually wanted to stay at Wake because I really liked Coach Dooley when, when I finished up and he treated me really well. And, and my strength coach always treated me like aces. But talking with Coach Dooley, obviously I wasn't going to go to grad school there. I was going to try to get to a one-year a one program at one of the schools in Greensboro. And when I talked to Coach Dooley, Coach Dooley just gave me uh, really good advice. He goes, you know, you know everything there is to know about weight, forest, strength, and conditioning. And I need you to go and learn some new stuff. So when I bring you back, you'll have more more arsenal for us and our team, which I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking I want to coach at my alma mater. And my, you know, my wife's from there, and my, my, my parents had a place down in North Carolina. I always figured we would wind up somehow back in North Carolina so I took his advice and started applying for a lot of jobs, a crazy way how, how it all found out, but I wound myself up out of Boise State. And, you know, I never even really knew where Boise was until I took the job. I didn't realize how far out west it was, to be honest with you. And my wife and I packed up my 76 Monte Carlo, and we headed out for a trek that we thought was only going to be two years. You know, go there, knock out your master's degree, and, get back to the East Coast and Southeast and get into coaching. Well, that that trip wound up being an eight-and-a-half-year journey at, at, the, at Boise State University where I finished my master's. They promoted me to an assistant position, and then the year after that, I became the head strength coach where I was there for five more years as the head strength coach. So that was a you know crazy ride, to say the least, when you go in there with one – goal and it winds up being a major advantage as far as developing your career and who you are and and your coaching style. I was very, very fortunate that when I got there, it was just myself and Coach Thompson. So I got exposed to numerous sports. I mean, everybody sees the product now as, oh, he's the strength for the Panthers and, you know, worked at Louisville in football and at Arizona State, he was the football guy, but I can we'll go through. But at Boise State, I, I did my chops. I coached over 20 sports. <laughs> like the very first sports I coached were women's basketball, women's volleyball, women's gymnastics, men's and women's tennis, men's uh, golf, the track and field programs, the, you know, men's basketball. I mean, we I did it all. I mean, we'd go out and stretch football, and I'd come back in and work five teams during football practice. Mm-hmm. then go back out there for post-stretch. So, you know, that's the way it was. And when I was the head guy, I had one assistant. And he was a graduate assistant. And then we utilized work study. So we, we got smart and utilized work study money 
to our advantage to get some of the student assistance. I created the first powerlifting club at Boise State, and we had a national champion powerlifter. So we went, we went all in, and you know, it gave me good exposure because I got to work with a multidisciplinary of, of sports that makes you a, a better coach. Like we were saying off the air, uh, you know, we talk about all these us, uh, you know, don't don't start too early and sports specific training you know be multi-dimensional in your in your training for sports before you specialize well really it's no different in strength and conditioning i mean i don't think any of us when we first started necessarily were looking at it from the standpoint of being a one sport strength coach i think we all went into it thinking we were going to go in and be the strength coach for a university or a high school or or whatever setting and the evolution of what's occurred is, is, is kind of interesting and it's really changed the dynamics of our field moving forward. So after, after eight, eight of those years, I got fortunate that the Utah job opened up and I was recommended by coach Doyle, who was leaving for Iowa as one of the several people he recommended for the position. And I went down there and interviewed twice and, and got extended the offer. For me, that was a huge, a huge deal because after eight years at Boise State, at that time I created our template that most people know as the tier system. And it, I'm, a, I, I believe, I'm a believer and I still am that you have to, to, to have anything with substance, you have to see if it can work in multiple places and if you're implementing things. So after eight years at Boise State, you know, I, I could have told them we were going to jump off the bridge and they would have thought that would have been a good strength program. So it was time for me. And with the lack of a true knowledgeable staff questioning you, you just, you know, you're just thinking you're the guy. You know, like, oh, yeah, this is all great. Everybody thinks I'm this. <clears throat> I go to Utah, I got a real staff. I got a full-time assistant. I had a part-time assistant. had a GA and two student assistants that never... And, and none of them knew me at the time I got the job. I wanted to bring in Cheyenne Petrie with me who would play for me and wanted to get in the profession. So I had a, I had a former player of mine coming as, as one of the GAs, but those other guys, they didn't know anything. And as you know, Jay, back then, it, it, was, kind of, it was starting to be a little bit of some paradigm shifting because, you know, when, when it all started, it was a three, you know, most people lifted three days a week, heavy, moderate, light, you know, build star stuff. And my, and my program is, you know, I read the strongest I'll survive after I kind of created the tier system template. And it kind of gave me reassurance that I was on the right path because here's one of the, the pioneers of our profession. And I'm promoting a very, a program very similar to his, except I've ro- I rotated the heavy, moderate, light into a, a, a session rather of rotation of exercises. So now I'm going to, you know, okay, let me backtrack. But as you know, in those times in that, in the late eighties and the early nineties, if you train three days a week, most people thought you were on the HIT all machine, one set to failure. And, the, and then the freeway guys did a four day split. Well, I go to Utah, and everybody at Utah is used to a four-day split. And here I come in with a five-day program because we're going to lift three days a week. We're going to have an auxiliary training session, and we're going to have two conditioning days on the days we don't lift. 
So I remember going there the first week and some of the players were like, oh, we'll see you Wednesday. Oh, we did squat on Wednesday. You know, so it was an eye-opening to a lot of people. But in two years there, we really proved that you can get things done in three in three quality sessions and having your conditioning sessions be standalone so you don't have to worry about the the human nature of, damn, we got to run and lift hard on the same day. I don't want to run 300s or 16 110s on the day I got to do power cleans. I mean, it's human nature. Something Something's going to suffer. Mm-hmm. So one of the good things about our program was our big conditioning days weren't our big lift days. So our guys knew that they could go all in on those days. And at that point in time, when people were given Wednesdays off, business research had stated in that in that era that Wednesday was the was the most productive work day of the week. And we were giving it off. Well, I made that the most productive day of our week. We're gonna squat that day. And it's also a day we don't run. Yeah. So it became a pretty good template for the week. So going to Utah was a totally different type of athlete. You know, we, we dealt with, that was the first time I had been exposure to a large number of Polynesian athletes as well as return missionaries. So now you've got grown men that are coming off two-year missionaries and now they're, they're you know, 23-year-old freshmen. Yeah. Excuse me, one to 22-year-old freshmen coming in. So you've got a whole different dynamic. Some of these some of these athletes are married. So you're, you're learning how to implement your program with a different skill set and a different athletic and a different maturity level. And then we had a pretty decent run for two years with those sports, and we implemented that uh, throughout the whole department. So all the assistants were trained on the tier system because back then the head strength coach, regardless of what sports he oversaw, continued to oversee the whole department. And I believe in an umbrella approach to develop continuity in the program. It helps develop unity in the staff. And it also allows your assistants to have some ownership because even though you're giving them some tools, that I, I give them the exercises or the cycles. I just gave them the template and some of the terminology that we needed to use to say uniform when we met. So a great opportunity. The, the coach that I worked with my last year at Boise State got the Arizona State job, and I was fortunate enough that he asked me to go with him. At this point in time, it was for football only, but I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity, one, to work for him, and two, it's the Pac-10. So now is another challenge that I need to accept. Uh, we went in there. We started off a little slow, but we made strides again. And, and fortunately, two years later, they promoted me to be the head coach of sports performance. We were one of the first teams, if not the first programs, to change the name of strength and conditioning to sports performance because of the the paradigm shifts of everything that we're asked to do is more than just strength and conditioning. And I kind of piggybacked that off of how athletic training was morphing to sports medicine. So that happened in like 2003, in January of 2003, we presented that information to the athletic director when they were promoting me to head coach of all the sports. And then from there, Arizona, Boise State set the foundation. Utah gave me the confidence that the programming was solid. And then Arizona State is where most people is when we really just took off and really were hitting some home runs across the board. Because again, when I took over, we unified the program so everybody was performing tier system style programming. And we were very, very successful in numerous sports. 
know, Ben Hilger, when he was doing the track and field team, won three national titles with the track and field team doing, uh, excuse me, doing tier system. Our women's basketball team was very successful under Rich Wetter. Uh, most of our Olympic sports were solid. And then we went to, what was it, five out of seven years, we went to bowl games with the football team. We won two, one, two, and then won a co-conference championship. So we had some fairly good success. At that point in time, we had some coaching changes, athletic department change, and I got an opportunity to go to Louisville as a football-only guy again. But I'd worked with so many of those coaches on the staff, and it was getting a little bit closer to home because I'd been out west for now close to, what, 17 years. And all our families were in North Carolina. I had two kids now that hardly saw their grandparents. So Louisville was kind of a personal and professional move. And again, another challenge. Coming into a very successful football program, and we had to show them a totally different, unique way of training that they weren't accustomed to. And we had two of the best on the field was not very successful, but we had two of the very most successful training years that I've ever had in, in college coaching at Louisville. The guys responded tremendously. They worked their butts off. We just uh, couldn't put it together on the field, so we lost our jobs. And then that brings me back in almost full circle. So now I'm in the private sector, and now I'm coaching 10-year-old kids. And I truly believe I became a better coach coaching 10-year-old and high school athletes again after going uh, 19 years in the college realm. And I was very, very fortunate to be in a good situation. Uh, uh, Ricky Prohl, a former teammate of mine at Wake and a 17-year NFL vet, had a huge sports park in Greenboro, which is about a half hour from Winston, where I was staying at the time. And he gave me an opportunity to sublet some space and start my programming and help feed some kids my way. And we were really, really ready to just skyrocket. And then we were fortunate enough to get the call from the Panthers to, to see, you know, we had gotten interest. And luckily for myself, I was fortunate enough to be one of the finalists that came down and interviewed with our athletic trainer, our general manager, and, our, and Coach Rivera, who had just gotten the job. At the end of the day, I was extended the chance to be the head strength coach of the Carolina Panthers, which when I was at Boise State, a lot of people know that was kind of, that was my dream position was the opportunity to coach at Carolina because, like I told you earlier, that's where I thought we'd always wind up. You know, and I, and I know a lot of people throw around dream jobs, but it really was. I mean, talk to the general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He he was one of the first guys who congratulated me because he was a scout. At another team back in the 90s when he goes, well, what's your goal? And I said, my goal is to be the strength coach of the Panthers because they had just gotten the franchise in 1995 where their franchise was rewarded to them. But like I tell people, this is this is my dream job. And there be and I may have to take another job. That next job is not going to be my dream job. It's going to be a very good job, but it's not my dream job. This is my dream job. You can't have like, you know, you hear coaching, oh, this is my dream yeah. job. Two years later, they take another guy. Oh, this is really dream job. No, I'm here to tell you, the Carolina Panthers strength and conditioning coach job was my dream job. But if in two years I'm at a, a different university or a different team, that's just going to be a, the next great job. And I've always said I've lived a dream, and sometimes a dream changes. 
that brings me here and I'm fortunate enough to uh, implement the tier system here and we've had a tremendous amount of success we've we've been to a Super Bowl we've been to multiple playoffs and it's uh, been a hell of a run and coach Rivera and the people here are just great and I've got a tremendous locker room I mean to to fall into this position and uh, the, the people the players in this locker room is second and none. that's awesome man that really is and it's what, what's really awesome is is how it's come full circle and and how your career has kind of followed the path that the profession has taken going from being the guy that had everybody to now running the show for the one team. Now being someone who's really <clears throat> driven it from the front and, and pulled the profession along with you back in the, the coach H days mm-hmm. and everything that you've, you know, given back. If you were to tell young people getting in three things that would be the most important things that you've learned along the way that you think we might be steering away from, what would those three things be that they should take, take to heart getting into the game? One, learn to coach. That's, that's first and foremost. I would venture to think that a large majority of the new generation of strength coaches from a book and science standpoint are well more versed than I am. I'm not afraid to say that, but if we we both went on the floor, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. So you have to spend time on the floor. I mean, I like we were just talking about. I think podcasts are the wave of the future. I think professional development is huge. But I talk, I hear all these uh, these coaches talk about. Oh, we're, and and I'm not saying. It shouldn't be done. We're doing professional development. We're reading these books. We're doing these podcasts. None of them say this week's special. This week's professional development was we we spent an hour a day on the on the floor having all our interns teach us how to how to do a particular exercise. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you'll say, hey, we're going to do presentations, and you know, this intern's going to presentation on triphasic. Training. This guy's going to do tier system. This guy's going to do West Side. This guy's going to do, you know, uh, undulating research article. Well, what about go out on the go out there, take intern A, take your staff of a hundred because that's how many it seems like people got now, and have him teach a large group how to do a squat. What's your teaching progression of the squat, and and learn to interact with the athlete. So learning to coach is number one. Number two, if you have the ability to coach multiple sports, you must coach multiple sports. It's no different than the younger athlete who we continue to say, don't specialize, don't specialize, don't specialize. Well, I would highly recommend to the the up-and-coming strength coaches, don't specialize too early. It will hinder your overall growth. There's too many things that you can learn by by working with athletes of different disciplines and different abilities and capabilities that will help you when you get that final opportunity to be a one sport coach, if that's your aspirations. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously this was my goal, but if I, I would have been more than happy of running to still being a classic, what I call now a classic strength coach of 
overseeing a university's 25 sports and having a staff and and running the and running the show from that end. But that you know that's changed a lot now. And I I mean I've talked to several people. I know Todd Hammer mentioned that I've talked to. He's heard me post up where I could I could easily see this thing turning into athletic departments just saying to every coach, here's several thousand more dollars in your budget. You guys go hire your strength coach. They can be whatever else you want them to be. And then they have an administrator just scheduling times in the weight room for when that athlete, when that team's strength coach is going to come in and train them. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. But it's getting dictated more like that because the high-level revenue sports are pushing that mantra. And, and you can't blame other coaches for wanting the same no. because that's just the way it is. I mean, the, the, the you know, the non-revenue, what people call Olympic sports, but the, the sports that don't bring in revenue, those coaches still want the same benefits as the, as the sports bringing in money. So it's a tough battle. I, I was just talking with Leanne Blinn, who just went back to Arizona State, and she's working with some of those types of issues now with the way certain teams have their own they have their own coach that's being paid through that budget. Hmm. So that dictates where that means that they report specifically to the head coach of that sport. So, but yet they get to use the weight room, yeah. and you're supposed to oversee that. So it's a tough deal. Uh, so I think, but I still believe in that diversity of coaching gives you a very good background. So when you choose a one sport, if that's what you want. And then third is don't take yourself too seriously. I mean, because I, I, the more and more I, I do this, the more and more I, I laugh at the times I over, I overthink the job. Like don't overthink it. It's lifting weights. It's, it's running. I mean, you, you know, the, you know, we're throwing out crazy terminology and we're trying to do all this stuff. Like everybody's like, oh yeah, undulating periodization. Everybody was doing undulating periodization before we even knew what that meant. When you're doing power cleans, squats, and three sets of 15 leg extension, leg curl in a week, you're doing undulated periodization you didn't even know it. And I spoke about that in 2004. We didn't even know it, what we're doing. Uh, you know, like when people look at us, like, and again, once you get all this terminology out there and you're trying to figure out how to make your stuff sound cool, that's one thing about the tier system. If you look at the way we cycle stuff in, in some respects, we, we're we not only weekly undulating, we're session undulating. Mm -hmm. We're doing multiple regimes in the same session, but the way we rotate, the way we can rotate exercises through our movement categories. So, they're, they're, you're, and don't tie yourself to like, well, I'm this and I'm that. No, you're not. If you really look at your program and how you write them, you're a little bit of everything. Now, one of the things I discussed a few years ago at a seminar with Mike Robinson when I did a big thing on periodization was we got to remember there's two types of periodization. There's periodization of the annual plan, which is really just generic calendar setting and your base stages of training. And then there's periodization of strength. And this is where I think people get, well, I'm a block method or I'm traditional or I'm concurrent. Study, study how you're writing your cycles, and I'm going to tell you what you are. You're intermixed. And that's a term I label because when I kept on studying, it hit me really hard when I spoke over at the UK SEA, and they are very science-oriented over there. I listened to several 
speakers speak on periodization, and I'm writing down all these notes, and they're talking about the positives and negatives of the different styles of periodization, and I'm like, well, I'm doing a little bit of all this, but I'm not having a lot of the negative kickback to it. And my go-to research guy is Matt Ray. So I actually texted him over while I was over and said, hey, when I get back, we got to talk because I'm listening to all these dudes and I'm on to something and we got to figure out what I should coin it. And I, I figured it's an intermixed process. And if you look at it, I'm sure if you went right back and started at your notes of what you've written down for the team you make coming in today, you go, okay, there's a little bit of block. There's a little bit of linear. Oh, got some concurrent sequencing. Uh, oh, yeah. Vertical integration from Charlie Francis. I mean, it all, I, I saw it all like it's like looking at a blueprint and saying, well, I can see all those periodizations right here on this sheet of paper. Mm hmm. It's, well, it's a tough deal. I mean, you know, there's so many things. Uh, I, I don't, you just can't get caught up. At, at, at an early age, you can't be, a, you can't stick, you can't say, this is how I do it. You don't know enough to say that. No doubt. No doubt. And it's funny how you bring up the terminology and stuff because it's, uh, you know, Bob Alejo's, one of his favorite quotes of his is it's like, well, tell, oh, me, no. what that, tell me what that word means and I'll tell you what we used to call it. No, I <laughs> love that quote. That's like <laughs> one of my all-time favorites. When I first heard that, I was like, that is like the best quote ever. Like, oh, yeah, it's this unjupushi, oh, that's called the lake curl. Yeah, it's a lake curl. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that when I heard that, and it might have been on your podcast or it was on Travis Mashes, and I was like, oh, that is like the money of all money quotes. Yeah. I mean, I just love that one. That is like money. Yes. Well, listen, Coach, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. This is, uh, I've been hounding you for two years because this one was important to me. Because, like I said before, back in 2004, at that Coaches convention is that what it used to be called the sports specific convention yeah, I think sports. it was when it was only baseball and football because nobody else lifted weights uh, back in the day. Uh, meanwhile, there's a soccer guy sitting over here talking about lifting weights. But anyway, um, when when you let some little scrawny kid from Indiana State tag around with you and just pick your brain and ask questions and listen, that. That meant the world to me, man, and that really pushed me to want to keep giving back and keep helping these people, and, and one of the driving factors as to why I do this, you know, people like you and like Dave, who have, who have really helped me be better by allowing me to ask questions, or like when I would just show up in Ohio and Dave would just sit down, you know, yeah. taking a young kid who was a nobody and just walking around exhibit halls, talking about stuff, that that changed me as a coach. And I can't thank you enough for that. I appreciate it. Well, I, I, you know, it goes back to like men, like being a mentor to not just the, the individuals who you've had the ability to work with. Not They didn't work for me. They worked with me. I mean, might not have always felt that way. I've been very, very fortunate that the individuals who I've had worked with me have gone on to just do some tremendously amazing things. And they made the program better. I mean, no one does anything alone. And I learned early on, you know, coming up through the field, I had good people, but, you know, uh, mentorship is important. And, you know, having the ability to create my own system allowed me to, you know, 
educate the masses, so to speak, on a different philosophy and a method and a system of training. But it also gave me a platform to be aware and conscious. Not that I'm 100 percent. I'm not saying there had been times where I probably have big time somebody or blew somebody off or did the typical talking to a dude, looking over his shoulder, seeing if somebody else is in the convention. Well, I learned I learned to tunnel that back in and give the respect to the individual who had, you know, because, you know, I remember when I first went to my first clinics and I'm seeing Boyd Epley walking through the hall like he had a spotlight over him. And like, should you go up and say something to him? I mean, you know, I don't care who you are. It's, it takes a little bit of guts to get the the energy and the nerve up to go meet somebody that you think is at the forefront of your profession and somebody you'd like to emulate. And I learned from going to coaches convention and tracking down football coaches that, you know, I didn't necessarily appreciate getting big time. So I try hard not to be a big timer as a big timer, I guess, because of what your stature is at this point in the profession. And, and doing different types of readings, I'm at that point in my career now where I, I've i been successful. So what yeah, would I love to win a Super Bowl? And would I, and I do I want to continue to win? Yeah, because that keeps my job. I mean, that's the one thing about athletics. You, success is important regardless. But my ultimate goal is to continue to make a significant impact with the profession. And the way I can do that is by being honest and real. And not just necessarily talking about, you know, very scientific types of principles or very practical is just telling you this is this is coaching. You know, uh, you want me to tell you, you want me to tell you another one I tell a young aspiring strength coaches, if you have a significant other, you need to make sure they understand that this isn't the typical job route. Are, are they going to be willing to pack and go? I mean, I moved, I'm fortunate, I only moved like seven times. I know people that moved 27 times in the same amount of 30 years that I've been coaching. I mean, like Leo, we were just talking about, man, very few people are getting 15-year runs at the same place. Yeah. Especially yeah, in, in the single sport strength coaching model that we have now. Yeah. So, no I mean, doubt. Those are, that, those are, that's real life stuff. You know, I've seen people get divorced and people lose relationships over you know, the, the world, the crazy world of coaching, you know, you got, you got to have a support system that's second to none. And, and the, and the thing about the, having the right uh, significant other is they chose this with you. Then it's when you have kids, they didn't choose it. They got, they got born into it. So they don't get it. So then you gotta, you gotta educate them on, and you, and they gotta get tough skinned. And, you know, you know, and I, like I used to tell my sons a lot, you know, Hey, you, you know, there's kids your age fighting in the military. You know, you're just moving. Yeah. You know, so, and I, but it's, you know, and I get it. It's tough. I didn't move. I lived my whole life in one in two houses in Inwood. I mean, so I, 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 you know, it's hard for me to say I can personally understand what you're going through because I can't. But my wife moved millions of times, it seemed, when she was growing up. So she, she was all about the next adventure. And, you know, so there's a lot there's a lot to think about outside. Oh, I want to be a coach. I want to coach in the NFL. Yeah, so does everybody else. There's only 32 jobs in the whole world. I mean, just think about the uniqueness of what people are getting themselves into. When when we were coming up, the the there there was more jobs than there was coaches. 
now there's more coaches than there are jobs, even though it seems like every every place you go to has 10 strength coaches. But now there's people who never even participated in sports who want to be strength coaches. It used to be, oh, you play football, you play basketball, you did track and field. Oh, yeah, you love the weight room. Hey, go be a strength coach. Or you're an ex-bodybuilder or a power lifter or a weight lifter. Oh, go be a strength coach. Now it's like these dudes are just coming right out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. So so supply and demand don't match. Don't match. No. Yeah. And, and we again, we're in a unique position. When you look at it from straight numbers, professional football, 32, 32 teams, uh, NCAA Division I football strength coaches. What is there, 130 teams now? You want to be a basketball-only Division I strength coach? There's 300-something Division I basketball teams, but not all of those teams because of the way their, their universities are structured have basketball-only strength coaches. You're in a very unique niche profession. You have to understand that. What are you going to do to separate yourself? Everybody's going to know weights. Everybody's going to know energy system demands in, in their conditioning and running programs. What are you going to do to set yourself apart as an up-and-comer? You know, guys like us, man, we're going to we're, we're going to survive on the fact that we'll outcoach them and our experience. It's like it, you can teach me GPS. You can teach me that stuff, but you can't teach a guy who all he's done has been doing GPS how to coach faster than I'll learn GPS. True. Hundred percent. Not going to happen. Nope. And, and you know, you got to find out what what is going to be your your personality traits that's going to give you a positive relationship with the large majority of athletes you come into. You know, I mean, I, I you know, it seems like we're getting. Uh, enamored with these hype shows that are strength coaches that are popping up all over social media. But can you coach? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, you got, you know, and again, I'm not, hey man, we all, we've all gone through the meathead stages. I, you know, goatee, bald head, weight 330, waddling around a weight room, you know. But at a certain time, man, we got to remember, you want you want to call yourself a professional? Well, certain things we're doing aren't professional, and 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 the height and the height show is 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 superseding the fact of whether or not the the specific coach is actually doing what he needs to do as a service to his athletes, and that's preparing them for their sport in the most professional manner possible. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree more with that, coach, and that's. That's a really awesome spot to, to leave it at right there. Again, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and being with us today, man. This, this really means the world to me, and it's, uh, I'm really excited to get this up. People are going to love it. Hey, Jay, anytime, man. Again, been a long time coming. You ever come my way, let me know, man. You, also, so you always got a free visit. Appreciate that, buddy. Appreciate it. Right, we'll man. be in touch real soon. All right. See you, Coach. Take care. And a huge thanks to Carolina Panthers head strength coach Joe Ken for spending the time with us today. Guys, as always with Coach House, open, honest, candid sharing. You know, he, he brings it from the heart because he really cares about the profession. He he wants coaches to be better. He wants to pass on information, and he's, he's been doing it for, for longer than I've been in the game. And I, I cannot thank him enough for the massive impact that he has had, not just on my career, but the, the profession as a whole. So, Coach, thank you so much. Keep up the great stuff. Keep putting out great content. Keep sharing. It is beyond appreciated. Thank you so much, sir. 
And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, as always, guys, we are just trying to get the best information possible out to all the great coaches out there. And as always, we wouldn't be anything without, you know, our listeners and everyone being involved. So thank you guys for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.